Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving a recap of yesterday's Thunder Mavericks game, as well as kind of going in depth in Apokachevsky's return to the Thunder roster. So entering this game, I actually was given some false information in the last one, so I do feel bad. Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis, they were not going to play in this game. Now, before, in my defense, they actually were supposed to. They got ruled out a little bit before game time was supposed to begin. I'd probably say like seven, eight hours off from tip time. And the reasons were, I mean, Luka, he had an ankle injury. And Kristaps Porzingis, he had a knee injury. So you got those two guys. But for the Thunder, I mean, they were missing two pretty critical members of their squad as well. Hamadou Diallo, he was out. He's still out with that groin injury we don't have a set timetable but we have kind of been hinted that it should be sooner rather than later so he's probably not too far off Darius Baisley's a new one though first game Baisley has missed all season long and it was due to a shoulder contusion so that meant there was a gap in the rotation that needed to be filled and the man who filled it up was Alexi Pokachevsky. So he got slipped into the starting power forward role. And I don't know I don't typically check social media or anything like before games, like during maybe I'll scroll around, but I didn't actually know that Pokachevsky was supposed to start. So when I saw him running out for the the high five line, I was freaking out. That was awesome. But he comes in, he's with the main group. You got Shea, you have Maladone, he's still there because Hill's out. Dort, Poku, and Al. Horford. So you got your starting five. Dallas are a little bit drained, so they had to throw in Jalen Brunson as their point guard again, which wasn't that bad. I mean, he's been pretty, pretty solid overall. And then they kind of had to fill around with uh, Porzingis out. So they had Maxi Kleba and Willie Cauley-Stein kind of taking bigger roles in order to help out there. But entering this game, it looks like the Thunder, they were just on a roll. Alexei Pokachevsky, he actually garnered the first assist of the game a no look dime to the right corner he was in the right wing flips it right off to Teo Maladone he strums up the right corner three you go up three to zero and you know they didn't really seem like they were struggling too much without Baisley being with that main squad and they kept just passing the ball around four of their first five field goals came off of assists and Alexei Pokachevsky He actually got in the mix in the first quarter when it comes to scoring the basketball. So he hit a pretty sweet pull-up jumper around five minutes into this game. That's the first time he has scored an NBA basket since February the 1st. Because right after that, he was shipped over to Orlando where he played 13 games with the Oklahoma City Blue. But he hits that down and OKC, they had a quick 15-9 lead and they didn't let off that gas pedal whatsoever they kept trenching the Dallas Mavericks on a 16-4 run and they were up 31-14 at one point in this quarter so they were just completely obliterating them ended up holding on and their lead got chopped down a little bit but it didn't really seem like it mattered that much they're up 35-19 through the first 12 minutes and it was because Oklahoma City was just ousting them everywhere on the floor. I mean, they were winning every single major statistical category. I'm talking the field goal battle. They were up 16% there. I mean, OKC shot 46%. Dallas, 
30%. So tells you what the defense was doing. They had four more assists, winning that 8-4. to four, And they were just killing them on rebounds. 18-5 to five advantage going for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And Mark Dagnall's creativity, it came in full swing in that first because he used he used nine players in the period. And, you know, you may think you may dig a little bit deeper. They only used nine. They used a nine-man rotation. So every single one of those members got slotted in to just open it up. And things were clicking, so he didn't want to change anything. He kind of left out some core members of the roster. Then I'll talk about that in a, uh, in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean... They just stuck with that kind of new-formed nine-man roster and actually worked out pretty well in the infant stages of this game. But entering quarter number two, I mean, you did need to be on the lookout as well because the Dallas Mavericks, they kind of ran into the second with a little bit of life on them. They scored the first five points, but Oklahoma City actually returned fire, so they were able to kind of account for their losses in that stretch. And styles were just completely different. We're talking opposite spectrums. Dallas had Boban Marjanovic playing post-up over Moses Brown for a brief stint. While Oklahoma City, I mean, they had Moses Brown who he was getting active down low. But they were kind of looking to continue to spread the ball around. So he really had an inside-centric team in the Mavericks. While Oklahoma City, they were more space and pace. And really, there was no complete winner here it was just a lot of flipping runs so the thunder they got on a 5-0 run dallas got on a 5-0 run and then the thunder got on another 5-0 run so three continuous 5-0 runs normally you'll see some points kind of scattered around there but nope just clean slate someone pulls up for three next possession make a layup turn the tables two more times that's really what was going on so all the mini runs kind of surfaced up until that three minute mark and then Shea Gilgis Alexander, he just took over. And he had seven points in the final four minutes. I think it was five in the final three. And so he was able to kind of make that big impact late so that the lead was still holding pretty strong. They were up 15 points, 62 to 47 by halftime. And it's because they were shooting the basketball just so, so well. They were shooting 71% from beyond the arc on 10 of 14 tries that was something that was really the Achilles heel in last week's matchup against the Dallas Mavericks they couldn't buy a bucket from out there I think they shot in like the mid to maybe high 20 percent which is absolutely that's atrocious for three-point shooting so they actually were able to spike up pretty well and that allows for the drives and that's how you saw Shea Gildas Alexander kind of go into full force to close out because that's where he was kind of focusing. I think the great thing about it was it wasn't like the do-all be-all for them. I mean, they didn't have to just shoot directly on threes. They did have that inside game, as I mentioned, and they were just continually passing the ball around until they found an open man. They won the assist lead 15 to 10 through 24 minutes, and on the glass, they were still just pounding them. They were up 14 in the plus minus in that area 30 to 16 so a lot of things that Dallas Mavericks needed to kind of fix if they wanted to make any sort of comeback in that second half and they were able to do that because they just sprayed Oklahoma City's lead got it right down 
to single digits off a 9-2 to two run in the first three minutes. So the momentum kind of shifts, but it didn't really stay there for that long because Al Horford, he scored six straight points for the OKC Thunder, and then you couple it with Lou Dort hitting a three ball. That lead, or the momentum, I guess you could say, just got completely squashed for the Dallas Mavericks. So their comeback it would have to come in a long, long succession. You weren't just going to get it right away. That would be too easy. That's not happening in this second half of play, at least not yet. So the Oklahoma City Thunder, they were just kind of given fatal blow after fatal blow. They give them the door, and then they just slam it right once they get one step in that thing. So they were able to pile on 13 unanswered points, and they got up as high as 21 off of that little patch they had there. I believe that was their highest total lead they had all night long. But that's when Tim Hardaway Jr. and Jalen Brunson kind of showed back up. They had some nice performances last week. I'd say Tim Hardaway Jr. is more of that scorer. Brunson, more of an assist man. But both of them can score at a very, very high level. So they were able to fuel up an exchange to shrink the lead back down to 10 with three minutes remaining but Oklahoma City got really really chippy and they got on a 7-2 to run to end the period once again they were up 15 points entering the next quarter so they were up 89-74 to with only 12 minutes left you have to be going insane in order to catch up to the OKC Thunder at that point but they were just getting a lot of second chance points as well as free throws kind of helping steam their play and Shea Gotis Alexander, he was still doing very, very solid. I mean, he had a great quarter closer again, and it got highlighted by an and one floater. This is where I go back to the chippy play. He's coming in from the right wing, gets right down low on the right side of the rack, goes up for a runner of his, and I mean, he just gets swarmed by the Dallas Mavericks. So he's trying to get this shot off, but he gets bumped. He's fallen backwards, and he still pushes this thing up. I mean, this is like a shot put for him. And it's so high arcing, you're not going to reject it. Nothing but net. So those kind of gritty plays really emphasize and make the, I'd say, trademarks in certain games. So he put a signature one down about in the final minutes there. Gives you a little bit of something to ride along entering the fourth quarter. And fouling issues kind of end up hurting them. It killed that little jolt of energy they may have had because the Thunder had three quick team fouls. So at least on the defensive end, it did show some signs of wear and tear. They did keep up, though, in terms of when you're looking at how everyone was performing. They had a pretty unique lineup out. They had Teo Maladon at the one, Tydrome at the two, Kenrich Williams at the three, Isaiah Roby at the four, and Moses Brown at the five. So a lot of different kind of play styles, I would say. You have a good matchup, I'd say, with Maladon and Brown in some high pick and roll situations, but Brown's going to be in the paint. Jerome, he can shoot. He also can play that Maladon pick and roll kind of style too. And Kenrich Williams, he can slash inside. He can shoot a little bit, but with Brown, you kind of have to be out in the perimeter. Kenneth Williams does do a great job picking his spots. And with Isaiah Roby, kind of a jack-of-all-trades at this point. He can do whatever. So, really unique combination, I would say, Dagnall throughout. And, yeah, I did give you those fouls, but they actually outscored the Dallas Mavericks starters. They had their starters out. They wanted them to play 
12 straight minutes to make this comeback. They didn't want to let loose on this one, but they got just absolutely killed 10 to 6 in that period of time. So they're down 19. And it really looked like by that point, it would be a let's run our second unit the entire fourth quarter to give them some reps. Maybe you can kind of throw in some players who didn't see much time. That's not what was able to happen, though, because the Dallas Mavericks, they were able to kind of pin the OKC Thunder up. The Thunder had a stretch of bad plays. They had some real chip shots around the basket, and the layups were just not falling. And on the other end, Dallas was making them pay, so they got it down from 19 to 11 pretty, pretty quickly. And that's when the fear kind of sets in. That's when you're looking towards, hey, should we bring our starters in right now? Moses Brown, he gave a little bit of comfort because he assisted right when it was needed. He had a very strong putback jam. You already saw it with the OKC Blue. I'm talking two-handed. Let's try to tear this thing down. That kind of dunk. So you're able to get that going. You're up 13 points, and then you kind of phase in the starters for the Thunder. So both sides are kind of going right back at it. And the Dallas starters were actually kind of burning them up. They got the game down to single digits with a little under four minutes to go. And emotions were kind of just starting to run high because Dallas, they're getting on their hot streak. Thunder's slumping a bit. And there was a real shot that you could see a comeback victory kind of in the peripheral for these guys. And Rick Carlisle, he was pretty adamant about this because he challenged a play where Shea Gilgis-Alexander... He was kind of running right into Tim Hardaway Jr., and they gave a foul on Tim Hardaway Jr. He was not happy. This was a play where you give it to the Thunder, and they keep going. They can get it back up to single digits or double digits, and if they lose or if it is a successful challenge, Dallas gets it back with a three. You're looking at a six-point ball game with over three minutes. That's a completely different scenario, so he wasn't going to let that go. This was going to be pretty much a make or break moment so he calls a timeout to get the challenge in before he was getting really angry he didn't want to burn one but he needed to or else he's probably getting a technical foul and they weren't going to review but they checked the tape and Shea Gilders Alexander before there was some contact to the face from Tim Hardaway Jr but before that Shea Gilders Alexander was using his arm illegally he was kind of pushing off a bit on Tim Hardaway Jr so they overturned it successful challenge and what do you know the Dallas Mavericks right on the other side they get a three and then OKC misses they get a two cut that lead right back down game was at four points with two minutes to go in the game and it was just suffocated at one possession and off of a pair of Tim Hardaway Jr. free throws? Yeah, it was only at two points. But then Shea Gildas Alexander was able to get back into his own. The three was getting all spaced out, and it's a little bit of risky play from the Dallas Mavericks. They were trying to pressure him, but it wasn't working originally. So SJ gets two quick drive-ins, and you're up six points with one minute, 21 seconds left. But then Dallas, they actually started employing full-court pressure and it did cause a turnover. It was very successful. And yeah, you have the numbers, but they were playing really risky. They had kind of a set game plan to pressure. They were cool playing 
really what would end up being a four on three because you'd have two guys pressuring what would be the inbound, you know, whoever got the inbound pass and just kind of let everything go from there. So they were guarding really heavy. Once they passed that timeline, they broke loose and they were making sure no Shea Godis Alexander drives would work out, no Lou Dort drives would work out, no one was getting in that painted area. And why did they do that? They didn't want any free points, number one, because it was kind of getting too easy. Number two, they wanted to play a little bit of casino here. They wanted to play it risky. Alexei Pokachevsky was playing with these starters. I mean, when I said the starters were playing, I'm talking all the starters were playing. So Alexei Pokachevsky was left in the corners, and they just weren't respecting him. You had Kleba, who was the main guy. He didn't care for him really he was kind of ball watching more than anything and they wanted to test him so Pokachevsky gets it once misses again misses he missed three consecutive wide open corner triples and it looked like that's kind of how Dallas would find their way into the victory column as if they kept rattling off those shots and Pokachevsky just could not make it and they wanted to do it again so there's about 51 seconds left in this game. Lou Dort has the ball, just gets by the left hash, and he's trying to drive right in. So he gets down probably around that elbow, and Maxi Kleba, he drapes down from Pokachevsky, who's in the right corner. Cross-court pass from Dort goes right over to Pokachevsky. He lines it up. Kleba's having you know a pretty solid job actually coming over, but... His jumper's too fast. One mo motion, way too smooth. Nothing but net. There was no doubt that thing was going in. So they go back up, and that was kind of the dagger that was thrown in. I mean, the Dallas Mavericks, they were trying to put in a little bit of points here, and they were doing that. But they would score on one end, pressure, couldn't get a steal, free throw contest. Oklahoma City, they weren't losing a free throw contest. So the Oklahoma City Thunder ended up winning by 8 points, 116 to 108. With the victory, the OKC Thunder improved to 16 and 21 on the year. And get this, they are fewer games away from the play-in spot than they are a bottom four seed in the league. They are 2.5 games back of the 10th spot in the West. And if you're looking, I believe the fourth worst team in the league is the Orlando Magic. They're four games away from that. So, you know, if you're of that tanker mindset, probably not the most fun experience you know you got to see a lot of great guys but you know there's actually some people who do want the team to be falling back down to try to get some more ping pong balls come lottery day but i mean for those maybe wanting to see them make some noise later on you should be happy for me i'm just great you know i'm i'm grateful we're able to watch this team this is a very exciting young group and the fact they were able to get it done it was great i mean this was probably one of my more favorite games to watch of the season Maybe it's because we had this one-week hiatus makes you value it more, but so many new faces and just constant rotation changes made this one really one where like you couldn't miss a single second because so many different things were going on at all times, and with so many interchangeable parts trying to work together, it, it got really cool just seeing all the play styles work out, especially when you look at the Pokachevskis and the Moses Browns who... I watched like every blue game, just seeing how they play, and then they fill right in with the Thunder group, and you know they help in a big way to get this this victory for the team. So yeah, I mean, well deserved for them. They're looking closer to the play-ins, as I mentioned. That might be a a surprise to a lot of people who haven't watched Thunder basketball for 
you know, all of us watching them, probably not too big of a surprise. Been a pretty dark horse team and able to rattle the Mavericks. But for them, I mean, they are not really safe anymore in terms of the Western Conference spots. They're 19 and 17, which, yeah, that's good. But they're just a half game in front of the ninth seed. And then when you look down to the 10th seed, they are just one game ahead. So they could, you know, with a couple more losses, be that team the Thunder would be trying to hopscotch there if they choose to do so. Well, I don't think it's a matter of choosing. I think they just ball out and win or lose. But, yeah, so they end up losing. They're in a bit of murky waters, I'd say, a little bit unsettling for them. But for the Thunder, I mean, this was just great. They pretty much just ousted the Dallas Mavericks everywhere. They controlled the advantage in terms of field goal percentages at the two and three. It wasn't a main one. I mean, Thunder were up 45% to 42% overall. And then from downtown, this was the bigger one. OKC shot 50%, 16 of 32, while the Dallas Mavericks shot 44%, 15 of 34. So a lot of perimeter shooting, but a lot more efficiency you saw from the Thunder side. Same goes with rebounding too. I mean, they were able to tighten the gap just a little bit, but Dallas they only had 37 rebounds. Oklahoma City, they were way ahead of them. I mean, they had 55 to their name. And even assist-wise, they're so, so active when it comes to hitting the open target. 25-20 to 20 lead in that category as well. So just all around, very, very great to see from them, especially when you factor in how like a lot of a lot of people were missing from this contest so for the Dallas Mavericks they just had three main dudes kind of starring for them and that was in wings Josh Richardson Tim Hardaway Jr and then you had your point guard in Jalen Brunson they had 27 26 and 24 points respectively so Josh Richardson there had the 27 Hardaway Jr with 26 and Brunson with 24 Looking at, you know, the Wings and Richardson and Tim Hardaway, you really aren't going to be that surprised. Like, those were the people who kind of carried Dallas last week. Chris Tops was amazing, too, with his, uh, yeah, I think it was 19 points and 13 rebounds. But outside of that, they needed kind of someone else. And, you know, you got it in that pairing. And Jalen Brunson, very underrated. And now, you know, getting the starting minutes, he did do a pretty magnificent job filling in for Luka Doncic maybe not all around I mean we're not talking triple double numbers here but he did a pretty great job when it came to putting the ball into the basket he shot 9 of 15 on the game but not a lot else outside of that they had one other scorer in double figures that was Maxi Kleba he had 14 but no one else outside that core for the remaining players on the roster I think it was eight Mavericks outside of them shot they shot pretty trash i mean they shot five of 30 that's 16.7 percent so unless it was in one of those four's hands you were just letting them fire away because it wasn't finding the promised land for most of the time so that lack of depth just ended up killing them and the fact they couldn't convert anywhere they actually could have won despite the lower numbers if they met up with the free throw standards they had 33 free throw attempts the thunder only had 20 despite that though they only made 
five more tries than the Thunder. Thunder shot 90%, 18 of 20, while the Dallas Mavericks, they only shot 69% on 23 of 33 from the charity stripes. That, that really ended up killing them. But Oklahoma City, I mean, they deserved to win this game. And they clutched up from the free throw line, obviously, and everywhere. They were just they were just very, very good. So you had that nine-man rotation with Mark Dagnalt. And it seemed like every single player was given a shot to impress. Like, all the minutes, not playing, I'd say, any member too much. I think that everyone got a pretty good sample size of minutes. You didn't see players like Moses Brown playing 30. You know, I'd say it was a little bit more reasonable. I think he played just a hair over 20 in this game. Yeah, he played 19 minutes. So that's kind of what you're talking about. Like nothing absurd, but all these young prospects were getting the deserved time. So Shane Gildas Alexander, he led them all. Shocker there. He had 32 points on 11 of 22 from the floor. And even branched out two rebounds and six assists. We've seen more. Um, on those fronts, but you can't really be too upset with him. He wasn't actually the main passer anyways. He's more the shooter necessary. And as I say that, I mean, the, the shot was not falling from deep. It was more working on the mid-range and the twos because he only shot one of five on distance tries. But that's the thing. I mean, he's able to be so diverse when it's not falling. He can always work inside. And when it's not working inside, he can always lean on the three when it's going and obviously you know you get into trouble when both them aren't falling for you but for the most part I'd say you know it's an either or sometimes you get a little bit of both but he's always going to be efficient from somewhere on the hardwood I think that is something that I can say pretty confidently there so he gets inside and just penetration after penetration Dallas could not stop them and when they did that's how you got the Pogachevsky dagger threes and just the 50% three-point shooting it's because of how hard they had to close out on some of these play players. And, you know, one person who they were trying to close out on, but the gap was just too significant. He was wide open. It was Al Horford. He had 21 points on 8 of 15 shooting. Also had 9 rebounds and 2 blocks. Only playing 27 minutes. And he really flashed some of his younger days. I'm not going to say he was too athletic whenever he was playing for the Atlanta Hawks, but he was actually cutting inside and making... Some pretty elusive slashes. I know that there was a transition bucket where Pokiachewski, he dumped it in. It was a two-on-two. -two. You had Teo Maladon left corner. You had Pokiachewski right wing. There was no one in the middle. Kleba was trying to maybe sink down there, but he couldn't guard both. So Al Horford comes in. He beats everyone else in this fast break somehow. Pokiachewski dots him right up, and he has a clear path to the rack. He absorbs some contact and makes a layup, and he even got on the Sonic Slam Cam, I think, for one of his third quarter dunks, so probably one of his more electric uh, games, I think that one week vacation probably helped him rejuvenate his game a little bit, but one area that he's always kind of consistent at is that three-point shot, and he shot four of five on the game, so you could not leave him open, that's the critical error they probably made when it came to defending him. Lou Dort was another one you couldn't test either because he only made four field goals in the entirety of this matchup. He shot nine tries, four of nine. All four of the makes came from deep. He shot four of seven from downtown. It was because, you know, the catch and shoots are just given right to him. 
still thinking it's uh you know games one through six Dort you're playing that's not who he is anymore he's going to hit when left wide open so yeah that's how he's able to get you the points and even getting to the line that's how you get to 14 probably could have gone for more if they gave him the ball I mean he was hot especially in the pivotal moment moments late especially that pass to Pogachevsky you cannot forget about that but yeah that three it was deadly for him Teo Maladon you can't sleep on him his wasn't all about the three in this game but it was a major part I mean he shot four of nine just like Dort and he shot three of four on distance so only one field goal of his came from a two-point shot his main thing was distributing I mean he had 11 points on the game but he also had nine assists so he almost got that double double paired with uh four rebounds but anyways he was the orchestrator of the offense when you have Shea Gilgis Alexander being the primary scorer and he's not out there as much as usual and he only played 32 minutes he's been playing around 35 that's what he's playing in the month of February so it gets ticked down a bit Teo Maladone actually took that from him he, I mean he played 35 that's the game leader way far ahead of anyone else I would say so he was the one having to play point and I think he made the most out of it he's such a great passer especially when you're talking about a 19 year old some of the stuff he has been doing so he was making some laser bounce passes inside making good reads especially in the pick and rolls he was having to use a lot of Roby and Moses Brown screens and he did it to perfection very good at just baiting people around in the painted area so that's how he's able to kind of hassle his way to all those baskets and you know I think he continues to make statements whenever he's given that point role he can definitely play at the point guard whenever he's called upon it how about Alexei Pogachevsky though and I I made a breakdown just solely on his performance on Thursday you can find it on my website Kyle Singler for MVP dot com and i'm actually might just do a one-off piece on him like tomorrow or or something of that sorts but i mean he was just killing it he had 14 points and eight rebounds both of that both of those those are gonna be career highs for you and he also had three assists and two blocks in the course of the game so for a start that's about as perfect as it's gonna get for you and he even had another career stat when it came to the free throw line because he had not shot a free throw until this game took him over 300 minutes but he gets to the line and you know it buries him so he's a 100% free throw shooter right now so that's something you can probably take home he's the greatest of all time when it comes to shooting at the line so he was doing great and you know there was a lot of kind of media whirlwind around this guy when it came down to you know how how would he return because it wasn't like he was doing amazing in the bubble like he did have moments but it was still that same thing where you didn't have that established consistency from him yet it's kind of just he's having a really good game or really bad game he'll kind of piece it together with some strong stretches but you don't tend to get the full piece with him this is probably his most well-rounded game not just in a thunder uniform but probably ever when it comes to even looking at the blue ones i know he had a 19 rebound game and a 19 point game but when you factor in you're playing at a higher level yeah you're definitely gonna probably side this way so he was great 
And I think he was just a lot more refined than he was when he was playing in, you know, December and January with the team. So he was staying, staying true for the catch and shoots. Like he knew his place on the floor whenever, you know, he needed to stretch. He was right there for the taking and he was very confident in his shooting. He was driving in. He was using the lane extremely, extremely well with um, his his pull-up jumper that he had. I mean, he had a clear path there, took took right away at it. I mean, he wasn't going to sit there and wait for Mavericks defenders to adjust to it. He also actually tried doing a little finger roll. He got the ball around the three-point line, like right wing. You got James Johnson on you. Does a pump fake, gets him airborne. His strides are crazy. Like, he gathers the basketball around the three-point line, takes a step in, and he's able to do a left-handed finger roll. It didn't go in. It bounced back iron, but it's such like a silky smooth finger roll he has on him. If it's missing, it's coming right back to him. The bounce is not going to be strong. So hits back iron, but you know, it's right back, right in his face. And when you're talking a seven foot guy with seven foot three wingspan, Pogo sticks right back up for a put back jam. So I thought he was amazing. There's a lot more to him. I mean, the blocking, he's so long. Like when you think you have a step on him, you never actually do so i'd say this was this was his his best and I, I i will probably talk about him in tomorrow's episode when i go over the preview in addition to some of these other guys but he was amazing and then the other guy who came from the oklahoma city blue moses brown and in my rotation um not only my podcast but my article i said with him you know he deserves a shot at the rotation for what he was doing in Orlando. However, I didn't think he'd be able to get that chance, at least not until the trade deadline. That's not what happened. I mean, he took Mike Muscala's role for the game, and he looked very, very good. And, you know, Mark Dagnall spoke after the game about this too. You know, he said that it took Mike out of the rotation. That's referring to, you know, all the young guys coming in. But he said Mike's a pro and he'll stay ready. So kind of crediting him for for staying pretty classy but yeah brown took you know his usual 19 minute slot and he almost had a double double again and it's wild because everyone was kind of just doubting him even when he was dominating the whole rhetoric was well you're talking a seven foot two guy who is way too skinny we saw him with the thunder he wasn't able to force himself anywhere on the court and when he was playing it was garbage time minutes anyway so you know, there's no way he can move over. Well, he just proved everybody wrong because he walked in there and he made Dwight Powell look like he was playing in Orlando. He looked like a G League player. All those people that he's feasting on in the glass, yeah, that's where that's where Dwight Powell goes. He had more offensive rebounds than Dwight Powell had the whole game. Moses Brown had five offensive rebounds. Dwight Powell had four on any side offense defense yeah just four all together and Boban Boban was pretty good I mean he didn't play a crazy amount of time he only played five minutes but I mean he had five rebounds in that stretch I'd probably say that was Moses Brown's toughest test but he was kind of cruising right by Dwight Powell and you know Willie Cauley Stein maybe gave a little bit of a hitch but it wasn't too major so he was just really beasted on everybody except for Boban and that is it's a really good thing to say on his end. I mean, he had eight points on three of eight field goal shooting 
and he had a career high of 12 rebounds in those 19 minutes of time. And it wasn't like, you know, he was sitting down low waiting for easy baskets. He was active when it came to setting screens. He was rolling really damn hard. And in rebounds, I mean, he was still bouncing the ball around five different times in order to rip it out of people's hands. Those little moves where he'd get, you know, two to three offensive rebounds in one possession, that is, that's what he did. He actually had one of those where he was ripping the ball up, you know, gets up for a putback, too strong, grabs it right back off the iron over two guys, does it again, gets it again, and he he's in a tug of war. He's got like two guys, two Mavericks tugging on it. He somehow rips it out. He's on the right side of the rack. Just flip it right back in. Almost seemed like there was a foul because everyone just froze. I don't know if it was out of just pure shock factor or what it was. That's probably what I would do if Moses Brown was, you know, in a rebound battle with me. But he rips it out of his hands, has that wide open shot, and just able to pause for a little bit, get get comfortable for the one footer, and you know, just gets it right up and in there. So he was great. I think that. He was trying to do a lot more like physical stuff than he was beforehand, and he's playing kind of like he was with Orlando, and some of it's not going to work because there's definitely a gap in skill. Like There were guards, specifically Jalen Brunson, kind of giving him nightmares when he was wide open down low. I mean, he's able to get a back down in, and he's just facing the basket. Normally, no one would really try to fight him in terms of the steals, and no one would wrestle him with the ball. Jalen Brunson was doing that, and that's why he was missing a lot of his shots. Same goes with some of these other centers. Like, he was swarmed, and he couldn't pass out. Normally, you know, centers were just left to suffer. That's not that's not what Rick Carlisle was, you know, letting going on. So he had to work for it. So he earned every single bucket he had. Same goes in terms of the rebounding, and I think that's probably his best trait he can just move on with now. But everywhere, I mean, he was amazing. It was just like Pokachevsky, probably his best professional game he's had. I know he played with the Blazers, and he probably did have a solid game in here. But in a Thunder jersey, this was definitely his number one showcase, I would say. And I think the way he performed, there's no way Mark Dagnall can pull the plug on this guy. He's going to have to keep his role for the next game against the New York Knicks. And that'll be cool because get to see him go against... Another athletic big man in Nerlens Noel if he does get any serious time against him. Ty Jerome, you know, another blue product. He was hot before the second half started. I think he closed great in his four games. This one, probably his lowest of the lows so far. Just one of eight from the floor. So just getting three points. He had six rebounds and an assist though. So he was trying to work around in terms of pick and rolls he wasn't that number one guy though Maldone definitely was the ball handler so he was left to the shot making Isaiah Roby he he does it all I mean I was gonna say you know he was doing the shot making but he does everything you need him to coming in the bench I mean honestly I think he deserves a lot more minutes than what he's been getting I think you know he only played like 20 give him 25 you know I don't know where you take the minutes away maybe like an Al Horford once he he could be gone or something, but he definitely deserves a lot more than what he's getting because he keeps crushing it. Shot four of five, one of one from three, you know, trying to not guard him when he's playing small ball five. That's not going to work out for you now. He's a killer shooter. So that's how he gets the nine and then six rebounds too. And even an assist, he doesn't play like a center, man. Offensively, he plays like a small forward and that's what makes it scary because on defense, 
he can play like a center. He can play like a power forward, plays like a small forward when you want him to as well. So very diverse on that front and offensively just dangerous what he's been able to kind of pick up throughout the season. So nothing, nothing but good things to say with Isaiah. The final member of this nine-man rotation came in Kenrich Williams. You know, he was relatively quiet in terms of stats. He only had four points on two of four shooting, but also got you three rebounds too. You know, it's one of those things where he's not going to produce like a ton of points. He just he just fits in and he works out for you. So I'd say that even though, you know, the ESPN page isn't going to say he was that amazing, I thought he was all right for, for his time there. And, you know, Muscala wasn't playing, as I mentioned. Justin Jackson, he didn't see any daylight. Neither did Darius Miller. I mean, they're all kind of veterans. Justin Jackson, not really. He does have a little bit of youth left in him, but it's not a ton. I liked what we saw here, and I don't know if Mark Dagnall's going to continue to do this moving forward, but I really hope he gives this another shot. Issue is, what happens when Baisley comes back? What happens with Hamadou Diallo? Who's going to get the short end of the stick? And that's something that will be figured out in time. We don't know exactly if Baisley's coming back on on um, Saturday. I also don't think we know that about Hamadou Diallo either. So I'll keep you guys updated on that if anything changes. For tomorrow's podcast, expect a game preview. I'll also probably be talking a little bit more on some of these guys from yesterday's game. So I really appreciate all the support, you all. Um, I'll make sure to come back, as I mentioned. Really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode, and I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.